Chapter twenty seven of the Mother's Recompense by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty one. Chapter twenty seven. Only three days more now. For just three days more she and Anne would live under one roof. And then. The interrogation was not Anne's. The news of Mrs. Clefane's intended marriage had completely restored the girl's serenity. Chris Fenno, detained in Baltimore by his mother's sudden and somewhat alarming illness, had not yet reappeared. It seemed likely now that he would arrive in New York only the day before the wedding. Anne was to have her mother to herself to the last, and with every art of tenderness and dependence she tried to show her appreciation of these final days sweet with the sweetness of dear things ending yet without pain because they were not to precede a real separation her only anxiety the alarm about mrs fenno had been allayed by a reassuring telegram and she moved within that rainbow bubble that once or twice in life contrived to pass itself off as the real horizon the sight of her kate cliffane reasoned ought to have been justification enough anything was worth doing or sacrificing to keep the bubble unbroken and the last three days would pass the day itself would pass the world after it was over would go on in the same old way what was all the flurry about mrs drover did not find it easy to maintain so detached an attitude she for one could not conceive how her sister-in-law could remain so calm at such a moment oh of course nolly's wonderfully capable she and lily have taken almost all the worry on their shoulders haven't they i never could have struggled alone with that immense list of invitations but still i don't think you ought to assume that everything's settled after all there are only three days left and no one seems to have even begun to think who's going to take you up the aisle up the aisle mrs clefane echoed blankly well yes my dear there is an aisle at st stephen's enid drover chirped with one of her rare attempts at irony and of course hendrick must take up the bride and you must be there ready to receive her and give her away give her away oh hadn't you thought of that either mrs drover's little laugh had a tinge of condescension though all the family had conspired to make mrs clefane forget that she had lived for nearly twenty years outside the social pale the fact remained she had and it was on just such occasions as this that she betrayed it somewhat embarrassingly to her sister-in-law oh, not even to know that when a bride's father was dead it was her mother who gave her away you didn't expect hendrick to do it mrs drover rippled on half compassionate and half contemptuous it was hard to understand how some people contrived to remain in ignorance of the most elementary rules of behaviour oh, hendrick well why shouldn't he kate clefane said anne was passing through the room a pile of belated presents in her arms oh do you hear my dear your uncle hendrick will be very much flattered mrs drover's little eyes grew sharp with the vision of hendrick's broad back and glossy collar playing the leading part in the ceremony the bride was given away by her uncle mr hendrick drover of 
oh it really would read very well flattered about what anne paused to question your mother seems to think it's your uncle who ought to give you away not you mother kate clefane caught the instant drop in the girl's voice underneath her radiant security what suspicion what dread still lingered oh i'm so stupid dear i hadn't realized it was the custom don't you want it to be i want what you want their thin-edged smiles seemed to cross like blades i want it to be you mother oh, then of course dear mrs drover heaved a faintly disappointed sigh hendrick would certainly have looked the part better well that's settled she said in the tone of one who strikes one more item off an invisible list and now the question is who's to take your mother up the aisle anne and her mother were still exchanging smiles why uncle fred of course isn't he anne cried oh well that's the point if your mother's cousin comes from meridia mrs clefane brushed aside the possible cousin from meridia oh fred shall take me up she declared and anne's smile lost its nervous edge now is there anything else left to settle the girl gaily challenged her aunt and mrs drover groaned back anything else oh but it seems as if we'd only just begun if it weren't for nolly and lilla i shouldn't feel sure of anybody's being at the church when the time comes the time had almost come the sun had risen on the day before the wedding it rose mounted up in a serene heaven bent its golden arch over an untroubled indifferent world and stooped westward in splendid unawareness the day so full of outward bustle of bell ringing telephone calls rushing back and forth of friends satellites and servants had drooped to its close in the unnatural emptiness of such conclusions everything was done every question was settled every last order given and anne with a kiss for her mother had gone off with nolly and joe tresselton for one of the crepuscular motor dashes that clear the cobwebs from modern brains anne had resolutely refused to have either bridesmaids or the conventional family dinner of the bridal eve she wanted to strip the occasion of all its meaningless formalities and chris fenner was of the same mind he was to spend the evening alone with his parents at their hotel and anne had invited no one but fred landers to dine she had warned her mother that she might be a little late in getting home and had asked her in view of mr landers excessive punctuality to be downstairs in time to receive and pacify him mrs clefane had seen through the simple manoeuvre and had not resented it after all it would be the best opportunity to tell fred landers what she had decided to tell him as she sat by the drawing-room fire listening for the doorbell she felt a curious sense of aloofness almost of pacification it might be only the quiet of exhaustion she half suspected it was but she was too exhausted to feel sure yet one thing was clear to her she had suffered less savagely since she had known that dr arklow had guessed what she was suffering the problem had been almost too difficult for him but it was enough that he had perceived its difficulty 
had seen that it was too deeply rooted in living fibres to be torn out without mortal hurt. Sterile pain! I should never want any one to be the cause of sterile pain. That phrase of his helped her even now. Her mind clung fast to it as she sat waiting for Lander's ring. It came punctually, even sooner than the hour, as Anne had foreseen, and in another moment he was advancing across the room in his slow, bulky way, with excuses for his early arrival. Oh, but I did it on purpose. I was sure Anne would be late. Anne? She isn't even in. I knew it. They're all a pack of vagabonds, and I hoped you'd be punctual he continued, letting himself down into an armchair as if he were lowering a bale of goods over the side of a ship. After all, you and I belong to the punctual generation. She winced a little at being so definitely relegated to the rank where she belonged. Yes, he and she were nearly of an age. She remembered in her newly married precocity thinking of him as a shy, shambling boy, years younger than herself now he had the deliberate movements of the elderly, and though he shot, fished, played golf, and kept up the activities common to his age, his mind, in maturing, had grown heavier, and seemed to have communicated its prudent motions to his body. She shut her eyes for a second from the vision. Her own body still seemed so supple, free, and imponderable. If it had not been for her looking-glass, she would never have known she was more than twenty. She glanced up at the clock. A quarter to eight. Very likely Anne would not be back for another half-hour. How would the evening ever drag itself to an end? They exchanged a few words about the wedding, but the topic was intolerable to Mrs. Clifane. She had managed to face the situation as a whole. To consider its details was still beyond her. Yet, if she left that subject, just beyond it lay the question her companion was waiting to ask, and that alternative was intolerable too. She got up from her seat, moved aimlessly across the room, straightened a flower in a vase, put out a superfluous wall-light. "'That's enough illumination at our age,' she said, coming back to her seat. "'Oh, you!' He threw all his unspoken worship into the word— with that hair of yours. My hair! My hair! Her hands went up to the rich mass, as if she would have liked to tear it from her head. At that moment she hated it, as she did everything else that mocked her with the barren illusion of youth. Fred Landers had coloured to the edge of his own thin hair. No doubt he was afraid of her resenting even this expression of admiration. His embarrassment irritated and yet touched her, and raising her eyes she looked into his. "'I never knew till the other day that it's to you I owe the fact of being here,' she said. He was evidently unprepared for this, and did not know whether to be distressed or gratified. His faint blush turned to crimson. "'To me?' "'Oh, well, I'm not sorry it should be,' she rejoined, her voice softening. "'Oh, but it's all nonsense.' Anne was determined to get you back. Yes, because you told her she must. She owned up, frankly. She said she wasn't sure at first how the plan would work. But you were. You backed me for all you were worth. 
oh if you mean that well of course i backed you you see she didn't know you and i did she continued to look at him thoughtfully almost tenderly very few people have taken the trouble to care what became of me and you hadn't seen me for nearly twenty years no but i remembered and i knew you'd had a rotten bad start oh lots of women have that and nobody bothers but you did you remembered and you brought me here she turned again restlessly and went and stood by the chimney-piece resting her chin on her hand landers smiled up at her half deprecatingly oh if i did don't be too hard on me why should i be i've had over a year as happiness goes that's a lifetime oh, don't speak as if yours were over oh it's been good enough to be worth while he sat silent for a while meditatively considering his honest boot tips at length he spoke again in a tone of sudden authority such as came into his voice when business matters were being discussed you mustn't come back alone to this empty house she looked slowly about her no i never want to see this house again well where shall you go then after tomorrow there's a steamer sailing for the mediterranean the next day i think i shall just go down and get on board alone she shed a sudden smile on him will you come with me at the question he sprang out of his armchair with the headlong haste of a young man the movement upset a little table at his elbow but he let the table lie oh by god yes he shouted reaching out to her with both hands she shrank back a little not from reluctance but from a sense of paralyzing inadequacy it's i who am old now she thought with a shiver what you really would come with me the day after tomorrow she said i'd come with you today if there was enough of it left to get us anywhere he stood looking at her waiting for her to speak then as she remained silent he slowly drew back a step or two kate this isn't one of your jokes as she returned his look she was aware that her sight of him was becoming faintly blurred perhaps it was when i began it isn't now she put her hand in his end of chapter twenty seven